Hello and welcome to Poetry in Aldborough's 2021 podcast series. Our festival launch, revisiting themes of place, perception and play, was recorded on Thursday the 4th of November during our online festival via Zoom. We hope you enjoy it. Our hosts for this event are Paul Stevenson and Patricia Debney. Over to Paul. Welcome to Poetry in Albra 2021. Thank you all for coming to our festival launch this evening. It's fantastic to see so many of you with us. My name is Paul Stevenson, one of the organisers of this year's festival. I'm joined here by the rest of the festival team who are going to be introducing themselves shortly. Please do say hello in the chat. Um, it's wonderful to know where you're coming from this evening, where you're watching. I know we have audiences from across the UK and around the globe. I'm here this evening in Albright, lucky to be here on the Suffolk coast. Um, this year, this time two years ago, we were of course um, on the ground running our festival as usual, um, having a glass of wine in the Peter, Peter Pears gallery, looking at artwork, hearing poetry. Last year, we were unfortunately all at home, unable to come to Suffolk because of the restrictions on travel and the lockdown. This year, for a second year, we are staying on Zoom. Uh, we felt that last year's festival worked so well with such a sense of community and not too many glitches. So we had no hesitations about going online again, not least because we managed to attract such a wide audience, um, as I said, from across the UK and abroad. So welcome to Poetry in Albra. We have an incredible weekend lined up, 18 writing workshops, 16 readings and talks. Um, so it's our biggest festival yet. Now we're gonna hear some incredible poems tonight in our two events, now at seven o'clock with our festival launch. And at nine o'clock, we have our um, celebratory event, Poetry in London, Poetry London 100 Issues. I hope you will be able to join us for that. So I'm gonna just uh, introduce briefly the festival team. Robin, who is by my side. Can everyone see me all right? Probably a side view, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm here and I'm the chair of uh, Poetry in Albra uh, and also the person who's doing the technology and I'm afraid all the emails. Thank you from the board as a whole for coming uh, and thank you, Paul, for putting together such a, what I think is a fabulous programme. So from me over to Patricia. Hello everyone, thanks Robin. Um, I'm Patricia Debney, uh, I'm a poet and memoirist based in Cambridge now, and I'm also one of the trustees of the festival. It's been an amazing time helping to shape the programme and work closely with Paul and Robin and Anna. Um, and we've got a real treat set for this weekend. So um, I just want to say a little bit about the sort of overall shape of things. Our themes last year were place, perception and play. We did find this worked really well uh, as a way of structuring the program. So we thought we'd continue to explore these themes further this year. Uh, and, you know, why have those kind of stayed constant really, I guess is a question, but this year we asked for um, expressions of interest from everybody. We received 150, in fact, over 150 applications, some from individuals and some from collectives. There was an amazing range of poets and a huge diversity of kind of fine grained themes. Um, but we found that many aspects 
fell naturally back into place perception and play. Um, so we went with this again as a way of shaping because it's a you know it's a big festival and it needs a bit of shaping. Um, many many thanks, heartfelt thanks to everybody who applied, including um, all the poets we could not include. Um, there were there were a good number. Uh, so back to Paul. So um, without further ado, I think we will uh, proceed with some poetry. Um, so over to our four fantastic poets that we're thrilled to have join us this evening for the launch. Um, Sarah Doyle, Vanessa Lampert, Samatar Elmi, and Stephen Payne, as well as our festival uh, artist, Arjuna Gunarathne, who we are going to be introducing a little bit later on. But without further ado, I'm absolutely delighted to be able to introduce Sarah Doyle. Sarah is Pre-Raphaelite Society's poet in residence. She's widely placed and published, winning the Wolverhampton Literature Festival Poetry Competition and the Holland Park Press's Brexit in Poetry 2019. She was also runner-up in the Keith Shelley Poetry Prize in 2019 and the Essay Prize, a wonderful essay in 2020. She was highly commended in the Forward Prizes in 2018 and is in the Forward Book of Poetry 2019. Sarah, who I met uh, in North London as a Highgate poet, um, holds an MA in creative writing from University of London, Royal Holloway, and is currently researching a PhD in meteorological poetry at Birmingham City University. Her pamphlet of collage poems, Something So Wild and New in This Feeling, inspired by Dorothy Wordsworth's journals, was published by V Press in March 2021. So it's wonderful to be able to hear some of those poems this evening. And I think Sarah's also perhaps going to be sharing screens. So Sarah, so delighted you could launch this festival as our first poet. Over to you. Thank you so much, Paul, for that warm introduction and for this wonderful opportunity to read this evening. I'm really honoured to kick off the Poetry in Audborough Festival 2021. Hello, everyone. Um, I will be reading this evening poems from my pamphlet, Something So Wild and New in This Feeling, which emerged from the PhD I'm researching on the poetics of meteorology and was published by B Press in March of this year. All the poems here are collaged together using phrases and fragments that I've extracted from Dorothy Wordsworth's journals, editing only lightly, adding no new words and changing punctuation only where it was necessary to make sense. Even the poem's titles are taken from the journals. Dorothy Wordsworth was the sister of the poet William Wordsworth. Born in Cumbria in 1771, Dorothy lived much of her childhood away from her brothers with a variety of relatives after the Wordsworth parents died a few years apart. She did, however, maintain a close bond with William and the two eventually set up home together as adults, firstly in Dorset and then in Somerset before finally settling in Grasmere, Cumbria in 1799. The journals I've engaged with were begun in 1798 and maintained until early 1803 and offer an intimate record of the Wordsworth's domestic lives and social interactions. Whether responding to her beloved Cumbria or recording her vivid impressions of journeys to France, Germany or Scotland, Dorothy Wordsworth's sympathetic gaze displays a remarkable sensitivity to her surroundings, capturing a powerful sense of place. 
Dorothy was a great walker during this period of her life. She walked both alone and in company for pleasure or for practical purposes, such as collecting letters or buying provisions. I'm going to start by introducing you to some of the places she walked to with an abridged version of a poem I've created from multiple journal extracts. Now for my walk. Walked in the woods in the morning, walked to the seaside in the afternoon, walked to woodlands and to the waterfall walked before dinner up the coombe, walked to the lakeside in the morning, walked a great part of the way, walked to the bakers and the shoemakers, walked to the hilltops a very cold day, walked before tea by Bain Riggs, walked in the orchard till, walked to Stowey in the evening, walked to the top of a high hill, walked to Ambleside for letters, walked to Easdale to gather moss, Walked on Dun Mallet before dinner, walked to Cheddar, slept at Cross. Walked in the garden and orchard, walked first to Butterlip Howe. Walked in the twilight till night came on, walked in the windy brow. Walked over the mountains by Wattenlath, walked up Greenhead Gill. Walked a long time upon Loughrig, walked only to the mill. Walked along the turf of the mountain, Walked to Keswick, snow on the ground. Walked as far as the wishing gate. Walked up, walked back, walked round. Dorothy's walk sometimes took her to Silverhow near Grasmere. This poem is comprised of a complete journal entry from November 1801 that I've extracted in its entirety and reworked on the page. Under Silver Howe. As we were going along, we were stopped at once at a distance perhaps of 50 yards from our favourite birch tree. It was yielding to the gusty wind with all its tender twigs. The sun shone upon it and it glanced in the wind like a flying sunshiny shower. It was a tree in shape with stem and branches, but it was like a spirit of water. The sun went in and it resumed its purplish appearance, the twigs still yielding to the wind, but not so visibly to us. The other birch trees that were near it looked bright and cheerful, but it was a creature by its own self among them. Dorothy's engagement with place can be active and experiential or contemplative and observational. This small poem, comprised of an extract that I've edited, demonstrates the latter. The distant prospect. The shapes of the nearer trees and the dome of the wood, dimly seen and dilated. The shapes of the mist slowly moving along, exquisitely beautiful. Passing over the sheep, they almost seem to have more of life than those quiet creatures the unseen birds singing in the mist. This, the title poem of the collection, is comprised of multiple journal entries and shows Dorothy's active engagement with her surroundings. Something so wild and new in this feeling. It was a fine, wild moonlight night. I carried a basket for mosses 
and gathered some wild plants. The whole scene was a combination of natural wildness, loveliness, beauty. The hillocks were scattered over with grovelets of wild roses and other shrubs and covered with wild flowers. I rambled on the hill above the house, gathered wild thyme and took up roots of wild columbine. I saw wild roses in the hedges, visited the white foxglove, gathered wild strawberries. They looked so pretty and wild, the effect produced by these simple objects was exceedingly wild. It was a wild and singular spot. The wild columbines are coming into beauty. The wild gelder rose is coming out and the wild roses. A fine wild night. A character of unusual wildness and desolation. It was a wild scene of crag and mountain. It is a glorious wild solitude under that lofty purple crag. A wild moonlight night, the valley all perfumed with the gale and wild time, but curiously wild, this solemn, quiet spot. This is a wild and melancholy walk, the transition from the solitary wildness. The sky and the clouds and a few wild creatures, a wild intermixture of rocks, trees, something so wild and new in this feeling of wild singularity. As this is poetry in Audborough and we should be by the sea, I'm going to read a poem that I hope evokes that place for us this evening. Another poem where I've extracted and reworked a complete phrase. Beautiful to see, on the calm hot night, little boats row out of harbour with wings of fire, and the sailboats with the fiery track which they cut as they went along, and which closed up after them with a hundred thousand sparkles and streams of glowworm light. Another famous Dorothy proclaimed that there's no place like home. And perhaps because of Dorothy Wordsworth's childhood separation from her brothers, notions of home and belonging permeate the journals. Here is the poem I made from a variety of fragments to reflect this. Homewards. We rode home over a lake still as glass. The boatsmen were in a hurry to be at home. The moon appeared and disappeared several times before I reached home. I came home at the foot of our own hill. As we came home, I picked up a few mosses by the roadside. It was dark before we reached home. When we came home, the fire was out. I was tired when I reached home and could not sit down to reading. Walked a little in the garden when I came home. We took home a great load of gowans. I brought home lemon thyme and several other plants and planted them by moonlight. I'm going to finish with the final poem in the collection and it's another comprised of multiple phrases.
Dorothy has a remarkable ability to capture the spirit of a place, and she often does that via her observations of weather and how it impacts on both landscape and living creatures. So, with sincere thanks to Paul and his team, and to all of you for joining us this evening, this is Lights and Shadows. We stood some minutes watching the swallows that flew about restlessly and flung their shadows upon the sunbright walls of the old building. The shadows glanced and twinkled, interchanged and crossed each other, expanded and shrunk up, appeared and disappeared every instant, seeming more like living things than the birds themselves. The sun shone so brightly with such a fierce light that there was even something like the purity of one of nature's own grand spectacles. Rocks glittered in the sunshine, distant hills were visible, the evening sun was now sending a glorious light. Islanded with sunshine, bathed in golden light, my heart danced while the sun was yet shining. Thank you. Sarah, thank you so much. That was an absolutely wonderful way to start our absolutely wonderful festival. Um, so, gosh, I've forgotten about the sort of move between poets and what an interesting thing it is to move steadily between voices. Um, so we're moving on now uh, to our second reader of this evening, who is Vanessa Lambert. Vanessa Lampert is an acupuncturist and poet from Oxfordshire. Since 2019, she's won the Cafe Writers' Prize, the Edward Thomas Prize, the Sentinel Prize, and the Vera Poetry Prize twice, and comes second in the Fish, Yeovil, Oxford Brooks, and Kent and Sussex Prizes. That's a lot of prizes. She was commended in the National Poetry Competition 2020. Um, completely delighted to welcome Vanessa Lampert here as our second reader this evening. Um, please join me in welcoming her. Thank you very much uh, for that introduction. And uh, it's probably just as well that I'm not in charge of IT because uh, it's back to front. Uh, I, uh, I did a, a, an MA in poetry and I finished in 2019. And um, they don't give those, those things away for nothing. Uh, so um, it, when you're doing that, that kind of last part of the course, uh, you, you literally look for, look for um, and poems ev absolutely everywhere you go, like a kind of you're standing in the shower and you, you drop the soap and you think, oh God, I've dropped the soap, but there's still hope. And then you try to write a poem. And uh, um, I... Um, I came out of my house one day, uh, kind of about this time of year, and uh, I met this man that I know, I know called Rob. And I said, oh God, Rob, it's a bit cold, isn't it? And he said, uh, well, what's wrong with you, you big soft dollop or something like that? Oh, this is nothing. And uh, so uh, um, he told me this story and I wrote, I wrote a poem about it. And I thought I would read it tonight because um, it's about a place that's just very near where I live, just down the road, um, is the Thames. Um, 
it's not at the end of my garden, so you don't have to hate me. It's literally some distance away. But um, uh, I, I just thought I'd, I'd read this one because it's uh, because of the, the change in season and uh, it suddenly really is quite cold. And it's called Winters Were Harder. Rob says winters were harder way back when for a dare he walked the breadth of the frozen tent, tiptoed out, tense for the crack that never came, but gave him a boyhood marked by this. Peril outwitted, courage gripped in the fist and breath of memory, when the wield and push of river rush was stilled for one whole week. Rob says he was chicken. Bank to bank and back was not risk enough. His mate hauled his bike, his life to the midway and cycled the line of its center in a duffel coat, singing, look at me, Jesus, look, no hands. At his back, there is lock, ahead, Molesford, and here, Beneath the whole pinched sky, a boy laughing, feasting on the thrill, feet on the pedals of a hand-me-down bike. Below him, lidded darkness, iced silver, thickness unknown, all fringed with the living bones of winter trees laid out to the far, cold sea. Don't you think a boy's life seen from here is limitless? Stand on the water a minute. Now, tell me this isn't forever. And uh, one of the things I really love about writing poetry, probably the thing that I love the most about writing poetry is um, that it gets you, it gets, you get to feel like a child again uh, because you can change the facts. Uh, you can just play and uh, you, can, uh, you can do what uh, what you like with words and with story, as long as you can manage to uh, get your reader to uh, kind of believe you um, and to kind of enter into the story with you. And so when it was uh, lockdown last year um, and Wimbledon was cancelled, I, I wrote a poem about my dad and, um, and it's called Wimbledon 2020. I'm changing what happened. In the new truth, my dad did not die young. He's out on the street in front of his house with his old man's face lifted to a sky that's cloudless, brilliant summer. A purple hot air balloon floats high over the city he chose for its famous bridge and a woman who loved him for a while. He's standing to watch the balloon drift, waiting for the roar and the orange blast of fire. He says, science and magic don't fall out. They just stay with what they know. Years ago, he fixed a hole in his garage roof. All afternoon, a blackbird flitted and sang a song that pleaded for mercy because she had built her nest in a dry building with a skylight that was now a prison with her chicks inside. So my dad climbed back up his ladder with a hammer and opened for that bird a brand new door to her sky. 
Now he walks slowly to Clifton Village for ice cream. Really good, bad ice cream with cookie dough and caramel sauce pulled in the middle. And I'm on my way, driving south to the road that leads to him. We'll watch the tennis and whichever man wins, my dad will cry and go outside and cut the grass. I'll stand at the window to see him smile to himself because he saw the dreams of another man come true. And he saw that man kiss a shining trophy, then raise it to show the sky. My dad will put the lawnmower away in the garage with a leaky roof and come back in. He'll give me a spoon to go first and we'll eat ice cream straight from the tub because my dad knows how to take a victory and make it his victory and my victory. Then all weekend, God and heaven will be real. And uh, another, another uh, one of the times that I was um, on, the, on the MA thinking, oh God, what am I gonna write about now? I started thinking, um, maybe I started going a little bit insane because I started wondering about uh, where my eggs went when, because uh, I was going through the menopause. And I was thinking, oh, I, I was born with all those eggs and where do they go? And um, so um, this is a poem about perception, play and, um, and place. And, and I think I'm amazingly clever to have those three things in this one poem. Uh, so clever than that anyway. And this poem is called Canada. Nights when the moon's too heavy. I think about my ovaries. Those two low buildings, stuccoed, painted pink. Those warehouses that came with me, once teamed with tiny half people, all cute as, everyone clamoring to call me mum. Imagine those fat fists you have to kiss, the soaring blue of their eyes. Listen, I won't lie. Many times I feared one would storm in headlong with its big head and list of equipment. I used to welcome menstruation, even on one time on the up escalator that exits the tube and once in the bakery section of Asda and twice, yes, I let my body wave a baby through. How they thrived, how they grew. See them shopping and hanging out their wet towels. Today, a sonographer found what she sought and said, yep, everything's nicely shut down in there. Think nailed planks over each entry and exit in the shape of an X. Think windows boarded up, graffiti scrawled on pink. I'd like to think the little half people made it safely out. I'm picturing them looking like me on the Isle of Wight or in Canada. Yes, that's the place. Say it with me, Canada. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Um, thank you so much, Vanessa. Uh, I really want some of that really good bad ice cream despite the temperatures. Uh, it was a beautiful reading. Thank you so much. I'm delighted you could 
take part as our second poet on this festival launch. I'm now going to introduce our festival artist, um, in, our artist in residence this year, Arjuna Gunarathne, who has uh, produced these incredible uh, brightly colored festival posters you see in the background. All our poets this evening have their poster printed off and religiously uh, pasted up behind them. Thank you so much, Arjuna. We really, really, uh, you know, thank you such for all of your here. work. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to say a few words about you, Arjuna, and then maybe I could hand over to you yeah. and you tell us a little bit more about your, your artistic career. Arjuna Gunarathne is a visual artist. Uh, his forte is in miniature painting, a genre that he was exposed to as a student at Beacon House National University in Pakistan. Born in Sri Lanka, Arjuna has studied the ancient mural paintings of South Asia and successfully marries the Eastern and Western traditions to present unique works focusing on political, social, and personal experience. He's been featured in the A to Z of Conflict, published by Raking Leaves in 2016. And his work has been exhibited at the Museum of Ethnology in Austria and the fourth Dakar Art Summit in Bangladesh. Arjuna, welcome. And thank you so much for being our artist in residence during Poetry in Orbit 2021. Yeah. Over to you. <laughs> Thank you. I work in like since 1995 as a artist. That is my first exhibition happening in 1995. So, and since that, I keep working my uh, personal experience and kind of <laughs> political uh, comment through my artistic language. So, that is my main uh, focusing uh, of my art. I have different kind of uh, experience of uh, visual language, Asian art, uh, Western art. And uh, if, when I draw it, it's coming to, together naturally. So <laughs> that's, that's how it's uh, becoming interesting and and same way as I'm, I'm living different, different places and uh, I have many experiences. So, so it's, it's when I put it into my work, it's like a poetry in visual way. <laughs> During the lockdown period, I work a lot of indoor work, draw my kids and wife and how we are experiencing in uh, lockdown situation and uh, yeah it, it's um, it's a historical experience I think everybody having and thank you so much having me here and and, uh, and really interesting to join I draw some um, poetry it's, it's it's someone imaginative I'm joining to them, <laughs> something like that, and uh, and really good experience. And when when it's translated visual, it's uh, it's poetry. Someone experience, and I respond how that experience to happen to me. Then I, I and something I add in my thing, uh, experience or something like that. Thank you so much, Arjuna. And uh, please, everybody, do check out Arjuna's website to get a sense uh, of the incredible imagery um, that he produces. And Arjuna is going to be creating new work throughout the festival 
in response to particular poems by, by artists in the programme. So it's going to be really fascinating to see come Sunday uh, afternoon what you've produced, Arjuna, in, in response to some of the poets. <laughs> and uh, we were talking earlier just before we, we came on and uh, it transpires you're in North London in Enfield as Sarah is. So it's funny that it takes an international yeah. poetry festival on Zoom to discover who your neighbours are. <laughs> so that's wonderful. <laughs> and um, yeah. So I think without further ado, we're going to now go to our third poet of the evening. And, you know, I said International Poetry Festival. Our third poet this evening is reading from Riyadh. Um, I'm delighted to be able to introduce Samatar Elmi. Samatar Elmi is a poet, PhD candidate and educator. He's an associate poetry editor at Numbi and an Obsidian Fellow. His writing plays in the liminal spaces between racial, socio-cultural and political identity claims. Sam has been shortlisted for the Venture Award, the Complete Works to New Generation African Poets, and is a graduate of the Young Inscribed Mentoring Programme. His poems have appeared in Poetry Review, Magma, Iota, Ink, Sweat and Tears, Myths of the Near Future, Scarf, The Echoing Gallery, and The Cadaverine. And he also releases music under the moniker Nomad Spock. I know um, Sam Samatar is coming back to the UK very, very soon, but uh, he's joining us this evening, can you believe, from Riyadh. So delighted you could join us, Samatar. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, and uh, thanks to everybody uh, who's in attendance this evening um, and to all the wonderful poets and uh, for their wonderful poetry. Um, so most, I think most of my poetry really uh, of the place, perception and play uh, sits rather neatly between um, place and, and perception. Um, <clears throat> I'm probably the, um, uh, the poetry equivalent of a goth. Um, there's not enough play. It's all very dark and serious. So um, I'm, I'm trying to challenge myself anyway, to have a bit more fun uh, with it all. So I'll start with a couple of poems um, uh, that, uh, that are somewhat playful. Um, Orpheus as a busker. He doesn't do it for spare change lobbed into his lap. He plays to regain the power to halt coins in midair like back in the day when his lyre could outdo sirens. He doesn't do it for small talk or drunken sing-alongs. He strums away assured of his comeback, certain that he'll be found in a mixolodian mix of notes, his food for muses. He plays on a prayer that Zeus will reappear and end the moratorium on magic, that one day this marginal busker armed with his music will repair the disenchantment will make us all believe again. Um, this is probably the closest I come to a bit of a comic poem, I'd say. Um, and uh, rum in this poem uh, is from the classical Arabic for uh, Rome. Uh, so drunk on rum. Our parents are disappointed. They raised us right, right, I remind them, in the shadow of the Colosseum. I hate that I was looking up, but Father, 
How can one be sober, gazing at the Eiffel Tower, pissed as a fart in the British Museum? And, and uh, yeah, one more portrait poem. Uh, portrait of Colossus as an immigrant, bit more, bit more placey. Um, after Plath, I picture him fixed in stride across wandering oceans, a bridge reluctant between immovable banks, wedged like a fallen tree. It's a footing that keeps him sentinel and sleepless, knowing a slip in the east is all it takes to bring him to his knees, then face down into Rome. I want to scale his limbs, sit in the brass of his ears, whisper on the similitudes of the world, how at such great heights, all language is a blur, people indistinguishable as fields of corn, sand, but he's all eyes on the water, its movement and liberty, the trick of being everywhere at once. Um, I'm gonna see if I can share the screen and, um, oh, disabled. I can read from here, it's fine. Um, so yes, I, those poems were from my, um, my pamphlet and uh, I'm gonna read some new poems now. Um, and these are these are firmly situated in, in the kind of the place. Um, so I'm uh, British Somali. And my my um, immediate heritage uh, is, is is very nomadic. Um, both the Somali and the British part. My uh, grandmother is uh, um, from Irish traveller stock. So um, whether it's East African nomads or uh, European nomads, there's um, a sense of displacement and, and wandering that has uh, permeated my immediate experience and, and, and all the myths that kind of brought me to poetry, really. Um, oh, cool. All right. Okay. Um, that's great. So, um, so I can share the screen. Cool. Brilliant. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, um, place. Um, I've just got to be conscious of the time. <coughs> uh, and the, this idea of diaspora and being a nomad. And, yeah. So the snail. I mean, the analogy writes itself like the conceit in a grand, like the onion in a grand conceit, that we really are like two slugs in a derelict mausoleum. Google snails are dangerous, slow, destroying my garden, our jobs and our women. You who cannot speak snail wouldn't understand how the shell was the gift and curse of diaspora, how our songs and laments resound in our half-remembered houses that we carry to forget to carry on. And uh, etymologies. <coughs> Albion. Albion as in Albayoun. The in-between is all I hear when you scream at me from across the parapet. Bayoun, you and I, this stitch of brown in turf is Albion, soaked and distending. And Bayoun, the earth and the sky, 
rainbows that may or may not appear, Bayoun, our faintly whispered losses. Albion, as in purgatory, or perhaps an oasis, or mirages in the sand, the cruelest state in limbo, to think for a moment that the in-between could be anything but Albion, could be anything but a home. Goals. I think of concentric circles, Vercingetorix, a siege within a siege ad infinitum until the distinctions between them, a Caesar and a chieftain, is reduced to shades between the echoes, between the wings of moths. Gaul, somewhere between, somewhere about the guts, stomach for a fight that shouldn't be won, as in Gal, a foreigner in the land of her birth, as in Bile, yellow belly, as in Coward, the Gaul to run in circles, a vacuum, a hollowed out void held up to the night, all cultish-like, like the night that crept up and swallowed everything. Um, I was, I was in uh, Somaliland very, very recently. Um, and uh, yeah, the distinction between um, the first and the, and the third world is, is, is always troubling, um, even more so when, you know, it's uh, extended family who live in, in such uh, difficult uh, conditions. And this is a part of a, a, a broader sequence that I'm, I'm working on at the moment. Um, <clears throat> Hargesa sequence one. Someone says in passing, you see these houses of corrugated tin, they shrink under the sun like shriveled skin. And because I have not been inside a tin house, I try to imagine the walls rippling, rippling, caving in. Someone says in passing, by houses we mean sheds unfit for tools and shovels. We mean only paupers and fools would call them houses. I tried to imagine the ever so faint sizzling, laying my kids to rest on the stone-baked ground. Someone says in passing, I see myself in four-poster beds, marble columns, butlers and maids, 12-course meals, arrays. But you see these houses, but you see these houses, but you see these houses. Um, moving into more kind of perception um, and uh, yeah, this, this is a poem I've, I've written about seeing myself, seeing my, seeing, through seeing my son, um, imagining what it was like for my father to see me and some of that intergenerational stuff, um, the fear. <clears throat> Sometimes I fear crossing the ever so thin line, such is the fear I don't look down and my crutch can barely hold its own. A crushed roach rolls and I can taste both it and the lips that pursed, paused. I juggle these doubts and witness the years it takes from the slipped. In this milieu, a single misstep will vagabond you. Sometimes I spot the same glint in my son's eyes and all I hear is crashing water, our bodies falling out of the sky. Sometimes along the quayside, my son walks up ahead unburdened and I know I must have walked like this, a skater on a frozen lake, 
I take this picture and store in place of the memory that time or smoke or a knock on the head rubbed until erasure. One day I'll wonder how I came to watch my gliding self through the eyes of my father, out of body, out of mind. Sometimes along the quayside we pass, a burning man. I go to pinch my nose, but it's too late. I am inhaled in the trail of smoke. A tail wags the head and lifts the dead by inches. I am stopped here in other dimensions, and I can't see how far my son will jolly on for. I'm gonna finish on a, a COP26 kind of poem. <laughs> um, it's no place like earth, I guess. Um, although um, some of my alien friends tell me otherwise, but uh, on the end of the world, um, nothing is out of the ordinary. Burnt toast softens with a foil scrape of butter. The lukewarm copper builders brown teased with the futile drip drip of milk dregs. The shower, much like the weather is indecisive, fluxing between too cold and scolding. The sky is old English off-white, the deathbed sheets of a fever patient. Nothing is misplaced. Books and coffee mugs cover the kitchen surface. A kettle whistles taking its place among the tired motifs of any old morning. Like the wooden steps tapped by her unhurried feet, her footstep arias, each creak and groan of old pine staccato tells me she's not running or falling or screaming. We pass with mumbled greetings. She hovers at the sink, runs water through her fingers into the glass, brings it to eye level, looks at the sun through its prism, it's orange pulled apart in the water. Haven't you heard? The sun exploded. In eight minutes, the world will end. She points to the radio, so I turn it on. It's Beethoven, not the Moonlight Sonata or the Fifth, but the Eroica, not the Funeral March, but the Scherzo. She points to her glass like a conductor's cue before the ictus. I peep behind the curtains. Half-asleep children climb into school buses, miss their parents waving. A, cat's climb, a cat climbs a fence. Four minutes. Your toast will go cold. I pause before charred slabs, turn and catch the cat's eyes, finding its golden light a likeness, fixing the metronome of its blinking. Light on, light off, light on, light off. She looks at her watch. Hurry, you'll be late for work. I dress in half light. Fetch sandwiches from the fridge, check the time, kiss her forehead, sip her water. Bye, love, grab my wallet, my keys. Step into the street and almost miss the cats, now gathered in litters on the lawn, the row of songbirds chirping madly, the Labradors and terriers staring at the sky. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Amazing powerful poems. We're covering so much sort of interesting variation in tone and intent and drive. It's just amazing across our poets tonight. Really thrilled. Um, I want to say we're probably going to run a few minutes over time. So uh, there's no need, um, Stephen, for you to, you know, something doesn't start until nine o'clock. The next one does. There's a little bit of breathing space here. So, so no worries. Um,
it falls to me now quite happily uh, to introduce Stephen Payne as our uh, final reader of this first event this evening. Stephen Payne is Professor Emeritus at the University of Bath, where until September 2020, he taught and conducted research in cognitive science. I love that. He lives in Penarth in the Vale of Glamorgan. His first full-length poetry collection, Pattern Beyond Chance, was published by Happenstance Press in 2015 and was shortlisted for Wales Book of the Year. His second collection, The Windmill Proof, was published by the same press recently, September 2021. Um, ooh, a pamphlet, The Wax Argument and Other Thought Experiments, is forthcoming soon, January 2022, so Stephen has been busy. Um, please join me in welcoming Stephen Payne this evening. Thank you very much indeed, Patricia. Thank you, Paul and Patricia and team for inviting me. Thank you everyone for attending. It's a delight to be here, even if being here has changed its meaning quite a lot these days. I'd like to share my screen if I may. Um, uh, to show you the poems that I'm going to read as I read them. Here's the cover of the book that all these poems come from. I've chosen the poems that I'm going to read just because they speak to the themes of the festival. Um, and the first couple speak to that rather weird sense of place um, that I just mentioned. Okay, so the Mousetail Man. I noticed him in the distance down the lane. His coat and cap were similar to mine, but as he approached, I saw this man was older, his face more written on by trouble and weather. He stopped and said, you just passed a rare plant. We tracked back to a gate. I'll have to hunt. It only grows on ground pounded by cattle. I spotted it here last spring. It's called Mousetail. It was some time before he found a patch, a few thin stalks, the tiny flower on each, tipping it whitely but unshowily. He said, I came here today especially, and it occurred to me that I did too. When we shook hands, he smiled as if he knew. In fact, that poem was written about a walk not too far away from Aldborough, up the coast in uh, the border of Suffolk and Norfolk. This next poem is, again, wonders about the concept of place a little bit. It's set on what used to be my regular commute between Cardiff and Bath by train. And it's called Switch. At Temple Meads, train front became train back. Until this midway change of tack, I was considering the here in terms of what was drawing near. Now I face what lies behind. There goes the Avon, sedge and hawthorn lined, and there, beyond my window ghost, a narrow boat, already lost. Further down river, Bristol's time is on my mind again that chime of digits 
on the platform clock. Also, a time of life, a chapter. Look, I'm there with Roz on the suspension bridge, watching the dawn return the wooded ridge. If you hear an occasional loud bang, it's because a, a, a neighbor is having a firework party tonight, it turns out. I don't think they're that loud as to distract us. The poems, uh, the, the title of my book, The Windmill Proof, comes from Euclid's proof of the Pythagoras, Pythagoras's theorem. And uh, through the book, there's a sort of axis of poems about Euclidean geometry, which might sound an unpromising topic to some of you. <laughs> I was a schoolboy mathematician. Um, I'm going to read a couple of those because I think they illustrate uh, um, the theme of perception, especially, and to some extent, the theme of play, or at least playing with ideas in poems. The first one I've chosen to read is called Sphere. An ideal so attractive, we see it in nature's rough tries, think eyeball or blueberry. At a different scale, there's earth and its moon, the planets and stars, heavenly almost spheres that move like a string or a bell and so make music too deep for us to hear, according to Pythagoras, who himself played the lute as well as the triangle. And there are the nearly spheres we engineer, the beach balls with their puffed up panels, tennis balls with that channel through the fluff and rolled out foodstuff, truffles and falafels. Nothing's perfect, although a soap bubble is as impeccable as it's ephemeral. It's vanishing, almost audible. Um, as well as poems about geometric shapes, I have poems about um, Euclidean constructs like point and line, and in this case, plane. At school, we learned to tessellate it with regular polygons and that three points determine a plane, which is why a milking stool has three legs, even though a cow has four. Like a school rule, something about its stretched skin essence makes it hard to contemplate without imagining it broken. We learned to define the plane of a window with a cricket ball. A plane is a surface where deep stuff happens. Euclid breathed on the glass and drew with his finger a map of shapes, then wrote his name. In terms of play, uh, one of the things that I, I, I think of writing poetry as a kind of play. I find it difficult to think of it as a sort of work, although I know people are supposed to. And I like playing with form. I'm going to read three uh, peculiar formal poems. These are one, one word per line sonnets. They spring from an exercise that Peter and Anne Sanson gave on a 
um, a retreat, which was to write a 14 word poem. And I thought, well, if I'm going to write 14 words, why don't I write a sonnet? And I finished up reading a, uh, writing a sequence of these, which appear in the book about my school days. And they take, uh, you know, they take 14 words and put them in a rhyming form. Although the first one has a rhyme scheme that I've never seen in a sonnet. It's, I suppose, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And it comes from my school motto. Pas à pas, on va bien loin, was a lesson few boys learned. And here's one about play. Rugby. Those grunty winter hours, centers froze, front rows never. Steam hovered over every scrum. I probably wouldn't have read these if I hadn't been sharing my screen, but one more. They, they go pretty quickly, don't they? Uh, woodwork report. Saw loser. Loose board holes and ruined dowels. Didn't auger well. Made bugger all. I've tried to um, I've tried to, to to speak to the themes of the uh, the themes of the festival, but I thought I'd finish with a poem that celebrates uh, being outside of classifications or themes. Um, it's a poem which has a title that I'm not sure how to pronounce. It's titled uh, for the abbreviate abbreviation of miscellaneous. I think I'll say it misc with a full stop. How to say it, this abbreviation? Whisper or squint, and it's like mix, the meaning of its origin in Latin. Which takes me back to Mr. Wakeling's classroom, its glimpse of the sky, its view over the tennis courts toward the girls' school, the legendary rule declaring that boys and girls must not have intercourse through the netting of the boundary fence. And the 30 or so of us in class 2R, R for Omani, conjugating a mo, a mass, a mat in unison, perhaps all of us wondering, like me, if we'll ever fall in love and whether we belong here, preferring instead to count ourselves among the miscellaneous, the all sorts and outsiders, not merely uncategorizable, but anti-bureaucratic, exposing a broken scheme and dissing really the whole idea of schemes. Hooray for the things that are labeled only by what they are not, the unidentified flying objects. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Stephen, for these uh, incredibly uh, perceptive poems, playful at the same time, and about place, and for engaging so beautifully with the themes of the festival. Thank you to all four 
poets uh, this evening, to Sarah Doyle, to Vanessa Lampert, to Samatar Elmi and Stephen Payne, and to our festival artist, Arjuna Gunarathne. It's been an, an, a wonderful launch uh, to the festival. And I see in the chat that we've had people here from London, Liverpool, Glasgow, from Chennai in India, The Hague in the Netherlands, Southwest France, Athens, the Algarve. We've already started off on the right footing um, with uh, an international audience. Please do look, look up our poets and their, and their poem, poetry publications. Tonight, we've heard poems from four of the most vibrant inter independent publishers in the UK, uh, from V Press, from Live Canon, from Flip Die, and from the incredible uh, Helen and Nelson at Happenstance. So please do uh, buy their books. Uh, the, the wonderful Poetry and Aubrey Bookshop has actually made a list. Uh, you, can buy, you can find the list of all the books uh, featured in the festival this year if you go to bookshop.org. So thanks to our poets, thanks to our incredible international audience. And um, please do join us um, at nine o'clock when we have a celebratory event for 100 issues of the Incredible Poetry in London with Andre and uh, four poets and their mentees. So please do join us at nine o'clock. And otherwise, um, thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful weekend with Poetry in Albrecht.